Well, good morning, church. It's a real privilege for me to um, be able to bring the message this morning. Um, when Trent asked me, I thought, why do I say yes? You know? Good. What's that? Because you're so good at it. <laughs> anyway, um, let's just ask God's blessing upon the word this morning. Father, as we gather together here in the church, the church congregated, I pray that your Holy Spirit will open our minds and our hearts to your truth. And may the meditation of my heart and the words that I speak today be translated as your truth into the hearts of people in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the scripture that I was given to speak from is in, uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and is known as the love chapter. And I'm going to read it through for you the first few verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. When I became a man, I put away the childhood behind me. Well, some of us did. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now there are three remain, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that's the verse I would like to focus in on this morning. Love is the greatest commandment, and it can be found early in God's story with his people. For example, near the end of life, Moses gathered the Israelites together to remind them of what, they, what truly mattered, and they readied themselves to enter into the promised land. And his words were recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, and it includes a passage known as the Shema, or in Hebrew, the word is here, which later became the Jewish confession of faith that they would pray in the morning and every evening. And it articulates the love between God and his people, and that it has always been the driving force of life and faith. And I would like for us to read together this morning the Shema, and it will come on the screen. And let us read it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, 
the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorpost, frames of your houses, and on your gates. And then following that in Leviticus 19, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then Jesus confirmed uh, these commands from the Old Testament in Mark chapter 12. And this is the English Standard Version. It says, I'm just giving us a background for what I'm going to be talking about. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second of this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Every moral law of the Old Testament fits under one of these two categories, love God and love others. The law was given to express God's high standard for community and kingdom. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first of them are talking about our relationship with God. You're to love God with all your heart. Uh, how many here can quote the Ten Commandments? You know, I was going through them in my head last night, going over and over, and, and I kept coming up with nine. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and the one that I was forgetting was, you shouldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I figured all the other ones, but, that, but as I was thinking of the Ten Commandments, I thought, you know, He's talking here about loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And if you look at those, honor your father and your mother. It tells you not to steal from someone. It tells you not to bear false witness or lie, commit adultery, covet, commit murder. It's our relationship with other people that he's emphasizing, and it all stems on love. What is love anyway? For some people, love is a warm, fuzzy feeling. Sort of more like, I think that better describes Angor Mitch, don't you? <laughs> or, you know what, some people say, well, I, I see stars and bells, and, and uh, um, I think if you're seeing stars and bells, remember um, uh, Pepe Le Pew? Remember, <laughs> remember how he used to, that poor cat. But you know that if you're seeing stars and hearing bells, in all probability you've been whapped on the head and you're going to have a headache. That's just the way life is. No, we have to strip away all those self-satisfying definitions and come down to what the true definition of love really is. And it is this. God is love. And Jesus is the God-man. He is the personification of love. And if we want to really exercise love in our lives, we have to live by the teachings of Jesus Christ, and we have to follow his example. 
Living the life of love requires the presence and the power of Jesus within us. And when you yield to his presence in our lives, it produces within us a love for others. The law provides us with instructions regarding how to live life of love. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to actually do it. Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 7 gives principles to govern our lives by. So in everything, he said, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Christian ethics to live by. You see, ethics deals with what is right and what is wrong. Different philosophies of life have a variety of measurements by which they determine what is ethical. But Christian ethics springs from the teaching of God's word, especially in the interpretation of G- by Jesus Christ. Christian ethics are not subject to society's law of averages. They are not adjustable to the norms. But we see that a lot today. Example, one father told his son, ethics are important, son. For example, today, a man who owed me some money paid me and gave me a brand new $100 bill. And I discovered that after he left, that there were two bills stuck together. And immediately, a question of ethics arose. Should I tell your mother? (laughs) The man's decision fell short of Christian ethics, which demands impeccable honesty with everyone. The popular usage has impoverished the golden rule to say, do to others before they do to you. If we're Christians and are going to have an impact for Christ, we have to ask the question, what would Jesus do? To make any sense and have any impact in our world, you know, religious people can, can get serious and heated debates over issues that no longer have any meaning. We must always remember to put our Christianity into forward gear and to be an example of God's power in an ungodly world. We need to answer the question that Micah 6, 8 challenged the irre- irrelevant hodgepodge of his day and and uh, this was what does the Lord require of you to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with God in the same way and for the same reason Jesus slashed across the the man-made barriers and conformities and he said we must translate our spiritual life into ethical action So in everything, he says, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And while this verse is commonly called the golden rule, it's not a rule. It's a principle to live by. Jesus never gave us rules for life. He gave us principles. Rules are soon outgrown because they are made for local situations and are subject to change. For example, 
little while ago, we all had to have a mask on when we came to church. And we had to distance ourselves at least three feet because of COVID. Those were rules. But the principles are the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. You never outgrow them. A religion found on rules, one of two things can happen. Either people lose sight of the principles and they break the rules, or the rules become so strong that they are broken by them. And Paul dealt with this in many of his letters to the early church. But wisely, Jesus gave us no rules. He gave us golden principle. And it's a basic principle of Christian ethics. We are to treat others as we would like to be treated. This is love in action. The difference between love and like. Love is unconditional. Motivated by principle. Like is conditional and it's motivated, motivated by others' actions. There's some people I would not want to live in the same block with. Anybody know anybody like that? I just don't like them. Anybody get anybody you don't like? Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, I see one, two, three, four honest people. There we go, yes. The hands are coming now. But is there anybody you don't love? There is a difference between loving someone and liking. Like is motivated by another's action. But love is unconditional. The story is told of a man who became known as Golden Rule Nash. And this is his picture, Arthur Nash. And it's an amazing story. Nash had inherited a small business. The business was headed for collapse. And when he discovered the employees were not being paid fair wages, he gave up any dream he had for the business and doubled their wages. He simply waited for the business to smash. And to his amazement, it began to prosper and eventually became one of the greatest businesses of its kind. It was a sweatshop in the States. And uh, he died a very, very wealthy man only because the business just kept growing and growing and growing. And he became a great advocate for fair wage for people. But it all started when he saw a need and responded to that and said, if I was working there, this would I want to be paid. He treated others the way he wanted to be treated himself. And one day, Albert Schweitzer tells the story. He was traveling on a train through Germany, and beside him was a young man and an older man sitting across from him. They were all strangers, but they began uh, talking, and the young man said, you know, the time we get to the city is going to be dark. And the old man said, oh, that makes me very worried. He said, I've never been in the city. I live in the country. He said, and I don't know my way around. I'm afraid I'll be lost. I got a telegram saying my son was in the hospital and he wants me to see him. And the young man said, I know the city very well. I will get off at this stop with you and I'll catch a train later, but I'll take you there. And he walked him to the hospital. 
Leaving the train, they walked together like brothers. It was a beautiful demonstration of treating others as you would like to be treated yourself. The golden principle begins with the Spirit-filled life. Like all Scripture, it must be taken in context. Jesus spoke. It was not to be a broad expanse for the public. It was for his disciples, for his followers. Many people talk about the golden rule as their religion, but unfortunately, they leave out the one who spoke. Christ and his truth are inseparable. Charles Allen commented, the golden rule is not a religion, it's merely an expression of a religion. In Christian ethics, love is the basis of our duty to others more than just an emotional affection of the natural heart. It is a love that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and this love is only perfect as the heart is purified from sin in everything Do to others what you would have them do to you. The Sermon on the Mount underscores the reverence for human personality. If good God fellowships with me in spite of what I am, I am to fellowship with everybody. I am to help others because I am a Christian by God's grace, and I will help others to whom Christ died, for whom Christ died. When you see the homeless person on the road or on the side of the street begging, a lot of times it's very easy for us to dismiss them. But I said to my grandson one day, we were giving some money to one, and he said, well, my dad says that they'll only use it for drugs. I said, well, that's not my responsibility. You see, Jesus said, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And as a Christian, we should look at our world through the eyes of Jesus and recognize that that was someone there. We don't know what decisions they made, what illegitimate paths they went down to bring them to this point in their lives. We've not walked in their shoes, but we know that some mother perhaps had a dream and a love for that person. And God loves them. And when I look at them through the eyes of Jesus, I see someone that God loves and I should love too because God loves me. There go I, but for the grace of God. If I were sitting there on the side of the road, what would I want people to do for me? Judge me or help me? I think I would want them to help me, wouldn't you? Jesus is saying, treat people the way you would like to be treated yourself. in the same way Christians should do to others, simply because they themselves are Christians. It's a way of life for the redeemed and the spirit-filled. It is a Christian kindness in action. The negative of the principle is found in many religions and philosophies, including the Jewish faith. They put it this way, I won't do to others what I don't desire them to do to you. Others say, live and let live. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. But this is a far cry from the love that God was, Jesus was talking about. He taught the positive form, a new dynamic in the hearts of men and women, in everything due to others, what you would have them do to you. 
So the essence of righteousness is to be constructively kind and good to someone. When that person on the truth street says they subscribe to the golden rule, he usually means I don't do anything to bother anybody or hurt anyone else. But the golden principle is goodness and love in action. The person whose heart is filled with the love of Christ is ready and able to satisfy this commandment. And this commandment in John says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you want, love one another. How can we identify a real Christian? By the way they actively do constructive good for others. A pastor's wife one cold morning was walking when she saw a boy standing on a hot air vent with no shoes on. She asked him, where are your shoes? He said, I don't have any, he replied. She took him to a store, bought him shoes and socks. He ran out, then came back to say thanks. And he said, lady, are you God's wife? She said, no, I'm just one of his children. He responded, I knew you had to be a kin. The golden principle is love, but love in action. This is holiness of life in the biblical perspective. Moffat, translating 1 John 3.18, says, My dear children, let us pour out love, not into words or into talk, but into deeds and make it real. The golden principle expresses a love which initiates action. Not just a love which sits around and waits, waiting to respond. It does not say, I will do good to him because he did good to me. Or since he helped me, I will respond and help him. Instead, Christian love looks for a way of being constructive and initiating action. It says, I will do good to him or her because I care. Regardless of his or her response, since I am God's child, I will do good to help him or her. I remember one morning I heard this story, not from my father, but from my mother, who heard it from someone else, the recipient of my father's action. He was having his morning devotions, and God spoke to him and said, you know what? The youth pastor who had five children will need winter boots for their kids. And so my dad went to the parsonage and he knocked on the door and he said, I've come to take you to buy winter boots for your children. The pastor's wife began to weep and she said, I was on my knees praying and I was calling out to God and saying, God, where are we going to get the money to buy boots for the kids for winter? And should I get off my knees to answer the door? Do unto others. Initiate the good works. Don't wait for someone to ask you to do it. If you see a need, what does love do? Love demands that we respond. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and whispers to you and says, this is what I need you to do today, do it. Follow it. Because God has a blessing not only in store for you who have been responding in a positive way, but for those who have become the recipient of your love and your expression of love. Going beyond doing is caring, 
we're going to be judged by the same yardstick that we apply to others. If we see good in everyone, nearly everyone will see good in us. Fault finding is devastating. The fault finder trouble is that they fix their attention on the fault and see little else. There's no more evident than that than on social media. Eating dinner, even. I don't like onions, and there's onions in this meal. Now, I love everything else, you know. But you complain about the onions. Well, maybe I do. Well, not that much. Christian love demands that we treat everyone with respect. No one wants to be neglected or passed by. Christian ethics demands that Christ followers value others as an end and not a means to an end. People resent being used for other people's gains. You know, many people have been lost to Christ and the church by religion that is impersonal, inflexible, stern, legalistic, domineering, and without love. Nothing beats genuine love and concern. As Christians, we must be interested in people, not just in good causes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. And that's how Jesus summarized the commandments of God. The golden principle is the summary of biblical ethics. In simple words, treat other people the way you'd like to be treated. The poem Lamp says this, I met a stranger in the night whose lamp had ceased to shine. I paused and let him light his lamp from mine. A tempest sprang up later on and shook the world about. And when the wind was gone, my lamp was out. But back to me, the stranger came. His lamp was glowing fine. He held the precious flame and light up mine. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. My challenge to you today is look at your world through the eyes of Jesus and attempt to leave people better off than you found them. Peter Mutsabasi, I've just wrecked his name, but I'm sure it's close. He's from Uganda. And this week I was watching 100 Huntley Street and they interviewed him. He has written a book, Now I Am Known. At 10 years of age, he left home, left his village, because his father would beat him till nearly unconscious. And he thought, I can't take it anymore, I have to leave. And at 10 years, he went to Kampala. And he lived on the streets for five years. He said, better to be killed by a stranger than my father. One day... A man came up to him and said, are you hungry? He said, yes. He said, I'd like to buy you some food. So he bought him some food. A week later, he came and saw him again. Would you like some more food? I would like some more food. And he'd done this for a while, and he, he began to build a relationship with Peter. Then he said, Peter, ask him first. He said, what's your name? And he said, Nobody's ever asked me my name, but he did. And then he said, would you like to go to school? He said, me? 
Yes, I would love to go to school. He started school, and then he would go and visit at this man's house with his family on weekends every once in a while. He then graduated, went to England, got his first degree, then moved to California, got his doctorate and other degrees, and he takes in foster children. He has five foster children and adopted another. He said, because someone saw a young boy in need and thought, if I was in that place, what would I want? I would want someone to see my need and help me in it. Do you see what I'm saying to us folks this morning? The greatest is love. And when we look at our world through the eyes of Jesus, we look at people differently. The perspective has changed. And the Holy Spirit will empower us and give us the grace and the heart's desire to invest, to touch, and to leave people better off than we found them. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love.